0: Hi, and welcome to IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit podcast. My name is Crystal Fall. I'm the Deputy Editor of Film and TV Craft at IndieWire, and my guest today is Nicole Cassell, the Executive Producer and Director of Watchmen. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Apple TV Plus original documentary beastie Boys story beastie boys mike diamond and adam horowitz tell you an intimate personal story of their band and 40 years of friendship in this live documentary experience directed by their longtime friend and collaborator director spike jones the film reunites beastie boys with spike over 25 years after he directed their immortal uh, single sabotage wow 25 years seems like yesterday such a great music video and this is a great movie. It's for your Emmy consideration in all eligible categories, including outstanding documentary or nonfiction special. Visit fyc.appletvplus.com. I really like this film a lot more than I expected. And, uh, you know, while I'm plugging it, I might as well plug the podcast. I uh, recommend that you go back a couple episodes and listen to my conversation with Spike and his editor, uh, Jeff Buchanan. It was a lot of fun. You've directed one, two, and eight But before we even talk about, I want want to talk about those episodes, but before we even talk about that, you were also an executive producer on the show and kind of an early reader for Damon on the script. And so I have to imagine that part of this isn't just directing those episodes, but a a role of kind of making some of these choices about how this this world is going to be adapted, right, in in your kind of executive producer role. Is that right?
1: Yes, I'd say not how the story is going to be adapted, but how we're going to bring it to screen. That's what I meant. The you scripts know? to the screen. Yes. Yeah, not, not, yeah. Not, not, not that. And that's um, being an integral part of that process, you know, with the pilot for sure. And then part of why I wanted to stay on for the whole season was, I just knew it was such a rich, incredible world and that it was only going to keep growing and going in new directions um, and getting to have, to be a part of the inner circle that is figuring out how to bring that to screen all for all nine episodes.
0: Cause there's choices here. I mean, obviously the other directors had choices to make, but there's choices here that you have to make with Damon early in this process that affect the whole show. And I, I, I'm thinking even of just as simple, something as simple as the masks and the costumes yeah, I mean that. Those are enormous decisions, just in terms of they're going to define this world. You know, that kind of home. One thing I instantly kind of latched onto when I was rewatching the um, the first episode last night was even just the kind of homemade quality of of both the cavalry and 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 the Watchmen's uh, masks and their their mm-hmm. costumes. Right.
1: Yes, for sure. Um, honing in on the mask was a huge part of pre production. Um, was Sharon Davis, who was the costume designer on the pilot. Um, And it was those decisions, I mean, Sister Night was by far the biggest, you know, hurdle in terms of landing that look. Mm -hmm. Um, But also figuring out how to do um, the looking glass, And, and we really wanted that pure, we wanted something that doesn't exist, yet we didn't want it to be a to- feel totally visual effect. So we wanted it to feel like a piece of cloth that goes on your head that is taken on and off and gets worn and ragged and loses its shine. Part of the thrill of doing the pilot of any, of any show is that you're putting down decisions and choices that will ride through the season, from casting to locations to costume design. Um, and on this show, it was just amazing because it was also world building and yeah. getting to create these things.
0: And even, uh, we were talking about, um, you were talking about, I'm blanking on his name. Um, the, the, the Blake Nelson, Tim Blake Nelson played the, um, looking glass, Le- looking glass right? Yeah. Pa- I mean, where did you land on that? I, I, had to, it looked very much like it, you created like a, 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 real material, but my sense is that maybe practically it had to be a visual effect to some degree.
1: Correct. So for the wide shots, we did have a practical material. Mm -hmm. Um, It just, it was not as reflective as we wanted it. So fortunately that allowed us to do some shots where it wasn't always visual effects. But when he was as close as we are, or even quite a bit further, it took a lot. um, We, it was visual effects. And so he actually wore, um, a rig on his head. Tim Blake Nelson had to wear um, a green uh, mask, a headpiece with a GoPro on the front and the back that was recording everything. And then that material is what went on the visual effects, reflection of this, of the fabric they created.
0: It's also interesting. I even just think of um, Angela and uh, the Regina King character, you know, for most of us, I think the way that we kind of first even just got a taste of what Damon's Watchman was going to be like was was that little teaser. And I all I can remember is is Regina King dressed like that. And it, it's it's amazing because it's like it's obviously she's the main she's she's your hero. And it, but but and it's Regina King. But there's also just this element of like that's ingrained in all of those decisions is going to be so much of your world mm-hmm. of how you're going to do that. Like even. Yeah. I wonder if you could even talk, cause I imagine that wasn't the, probably the first uh, um, iteration that you and Sharon landed on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what, 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 what the costume that she ended up wearing. Right.
1: No, it took a lot to figure out because um, I mean, we always knew she was called sister night and that her costume would had to be inspired by a habit. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it was, you know, now it, I'm trying to remember kind of the steps that didn't work. I mean, we definitely played with, did she ever have a white mask on her face? Um, You know, we had the cinematographer very involved as well. Just what would that mean, filming at day, family at night? Um, And finding the fabric that went on her face was really challenging. And then one day Sharon found that... um, it's wonderful fabric because it has a tiny bit of texture. It's a tiny bit transparent, but on first impression, just black and does its job of completely masking her. Um, and then the hood—I um, don't think it had a hood initially. And I there was just constant texts and emails flying <laughs> between Damon and Sharon and um, and me and a couple of us. CC'd on this, and Damon just kept on feeding. You know, things like as sources of things that he was responding to, and one of them was a hood. um, And obviously, for many reasons, it became apparent why that was essential, um, or so great of reference. Um, And then we put that thing on her, and you know, said now you have to run and crawl and jump and hop, and (laughs) and that took a a number of adjustments. Um,
0: Yeah. When you're in this process, Nicole, um, obviously. Uh, Damon's probably shared with you the break, um, the breakout of the breakdown of, of the various episodes. But you don't have all nine at this point when you're doing this, right?
1: No. With the, with, at that point, we only had the pilot. You
0: only um, had the pilot. Okay. Yeah.
1: I mean, he definitely had ideas, mm-hmm. for sure. He yeah. could talk about where the show was going. Um, but script-wise, outline-wise, we only had the pilot.
0: Okay. Wow. That's amazing so d so even so even that con, you directed eight even that whole like the amount of backstory of that you didn't necessarily even have some of those elements um of when that. i was
1: directing the pilot um no i did have that okay those big points the actors didn't necessarily yeah. yaya did not know he no one knew who yaya was during the filming of the pilot except that must for have Damon. been a surprise
0: that must have been a surprise for him <laughs>
1: Can you imagine? Um and I love that like it's a testament to him that he took the role not knowing it was gonna evolve into that.
0: That's crazy. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's crazy. he yeah. didn't know he was he just he just he, thought he was the main character. He didn't know
1: no husband. no one on the cast and crew knew. Um Damon shared it with me and a couple other people, but um it was it was that was a secret we sat on. I mean, Yaya found out before we went into filming the series. Regina finally asked a little bit later what was going on. Um, But I didn't even tell my husband until the episode aired. You know, that was like one of the biggest secrets I've ever sat on. (laughs) That's
0: crazy. I could only imagine HBO's lawyers going over his uh, contract. (laughs) Right. So, just so you you know, we got to be open to a couple things here. (laughs) Right. Yes. I just want to make sure I'm right about it. Most of the filming was uh, location filming was was in the greater Atlanta area, right? In Georgia, right? Correct. Okay. There's. I, I imagine this is a huge part because, especially in those first two episodes, you did. There's wonderful exteriors, wonderful nighttime exteriors. Um, that really kind of give you a sense of this uh, of this world. I, I'm wondering. I mean, I think a lot of people that work in production know why a lot of people end up landing in Georgia. It's it's got a, it's got a wonderful tax credit um, that is that uh, is above the line as well as below the line. So I mean, there is that factor. I'm sure this is not a cheap show, but I, I'm wondering on that scout um, it kind of landing on the Georgia Atlanta area because because of you found some amazing locations at this point we've seen so much of Georgia shot, but it was so right. interesting to yes. see how Watchmen, especially yeah. in those nighttime exteriors, really use yeah. that uh, the area outside of Atlanta in, in an interesting way.
1: I was, um, I'm with you. I had filmed rectify in Griffin, Georgia and was amazed to be back there with Watchmen. Um, You know, we did a five-city location scout, starting with Tulsa, just to do research. And then we went to Austin, Albuquerque, New Orleans, and Atlanta. And I really, I I had the zero expectation for Atlanta because of exactly that. It's just been so filmed, whether it's Marvel movies or Baby Driver, just all the shows. Um, But on that first recce, on our first day out, we, it just, we found Crawford house. We found the big field where the cow massacre happens. And it, and just like it is, I mean, with these two, you know, mainly one, there's, there were two actually, uh, trailers side by side, but one in this clump of trees. Um, and in we were there for two days and we found five locations, you know, not expecting to find any actual locations on this trip, period. But there they were, and they were so right um, that the, it just said, come here, you know. Um, and just for the record, I want to clarify that most, a lot of the uh, scenes with, with Jeremy Irons on Utopia Europa is, mm. um, is uh, filmed in Wales.
0: Okay, yeah. Yeah. I didn't think you faked that in, uh, okay. <laughs> in Georgia. No, we tried. <laughs> we could. No castles in Georgia.
1: Um,
0: I want to talk a little bit about tone. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. um, the what Damon is putting on the page has a very distinct tone. But, you know, I imagine, I think you were an early reader, right? You're like one of the first people that's and kind of getting it when he mm-hmm. first pumped out a pilot a script uh, and probably one of the first voices that are giving him him feedback. I would imagine that one of the key issues when I was reading, if I was reading an early draft of this, or even the the eventual pilot draft is, you know, you have race at the center of this. You have this incredibly, um, you know, you have have Tulsa 1921 massacre, uh, which is just a very distinct, um, very serious thing. Um, And that kind of kernel, that evil is kind of something that this whole world, you know, spurs out of. And yet this is also Watchmen, Mm-hmm. It's pulpy. It has um, the show that Damon's created is a different show. It is a different beast than the graphic novel, but he is channeling a little bit of the, of the sense of humor, the kind of punk rockness of, mm-hmm. of that graphic novel. And I have to imagine, so one can recognize the source material, but I imagine that's kind of be something that's going, If, if thinking about, well, oh, I'm going to direct some of these, it helped create this world. That idea of the conversation of tone with this, I have to imagine is one that started very early and continued all the way throughout.
1: Absolutely. You know, we had many for every episode, constant tone meetings to, to land on that. But in terms of that big, the tone that is inspired by the graphic novel, um, I love that you said punk rock. And I think, you know, when I read the pilot, I said to Damon, it's, it's so original, if it whether it's going to succeed or fail, it will be phenomenally original. And, um, and that's, you know, again, that's an homage to the book, Mm -hmm. nothing like that existed before it. Um, And I didn't, I didn't think of it as pulpy, you know, and I'd say, I, came to the script, having only read the script, I did not read the book. And my goal, first and foremost, I did after I got the job. Then I did a deep, deep dive and study for visual references, framing and such. But tonally, the writing in itself gives us these moments that are so out there, whether it's the squid falling or a shootout in a cow field. Um, I always, my goal is always to bring to make it to ground the performance, to make it feel like a real world. Um, when you say pulpy, that's what we saved for the American hero story. Right. You know, that's the over the top, exaggerated mm-hmm. um, pop pulp culture material.
0: It seems as almost in directing that, because um, you directed, right? The, that was in episode two, right? The, the television yeah. show. It seems as if almost the um, violence... And the way that violence is in that television show almost became like a yardstick of okay we're we're over on this side of this right, it, it, right. It, it it's almost made to feel like a contrast to a degree right
1: i exactly you know it's it's extreme to me it's it's our comment on where kind of violence has gone in in our media a lot mm-hmm. um, or that's how I felt about it um, you know, and that the violence within. The actual real show is it's definitely extreme, but not insane, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And that's all subjective, but mm-hmm. that's how I felt about it.
0: It's interesting. One one sequence along these lines that really stood out to me was um uh, was is it is it Nixonville? Is that the is that the uh, it, yeah. okay in episode two? And it's 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 honestly, I think maybe one of the best directed aspects of of the mm. series is is it the violence kind of erupts in this police. Um, you know, with the, these cavalry guys in the trailers and it's cut and shot in a way so that Angela is kind of this steady voice of reason, but she's not going to interject and the violence is happening around her. And then she's kind of triggered into it and explodes into an extreme violent situation and then pulls herself into the car, breathes deep on comes the Resner ross and she's, you know, we've got a new piece to it. And that transition in that way, that violence, it seems as if it's an incredibly well-directed and edited mm-hmm. piece by you, but it also seems as if that kind of embodies a little bit of how your the violence is going to relate to our main character and also the way it's going to be depicted. Right.
1: Um, I love that you, you know, kind of made that connection because I, again, I always... Approached it from where Angela is and Regina Sister Knight is as a character. And at this point, she's sitting on this massive secret um, that she witnessed, you know, firsthand. She has Old Man Will in her bakery and she's lost her best friend. And she's stuffed that all down to go to work and sit on a huge secret. Um, and when that man gets her, her rage, you know, she's triggered and she overreacts and, and she knows she does, you know, and that's what we see her pull it back together in the car. Um, and I think that's, you know, I think definitely a reference for how, um, how big our action pieces go, um, as a comment on, you know, just kind of what we're all sitting on all the time right now
0: and you put that right into the pilot as well you know the first time she kind of goes into uh you know uh the bakery i suppose you know she she just basically grabs someone out of a trailer and he ends up in like almost the equivalent of a Guantanamo interrogation room you know it's right. it's 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 it, it it it's it's that stuff is right there right from the start um and it's 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 an interesting thing to to think about in the sense of what, what is also a very fun show and a very action packed show that it's that you're able to find that balance. Cause I don't, I don't, the ideas might be there in the script, but I don't know that executing that or finding that balance and how it's shot is something that is, is a, an intu- intuitive thing of just script mm-hmm. to screen. I have to imagine that there's a lot of thinking about that and how you're going to handle that.
1: I I actually think it's mostly intuition. You know, it that is. It's how I um, again, just, Making it driven by what she's feeling in that moment. Um, And the fact, I mean, I think she's a very tricky lead character in that she's very morally ambiguous. And it was challenging for me to at times direct her to do things that I wish she wasn't doing. You know, she shouldn't go in the bathroom and beat, you know, information from someone. Yet I still love her and I want her to be badass mm-hmm. so I had to at times put that moral judgment away mm-hmm. and trust that the show as a whole is exploring that precisely and will give us answers or resolution um, but I'd say that's probably those were probably the hardest moments I had when I um was upset with her for what she was doing and then you know and I would have to talk to Damon, and he'd remind me again, when we come back to the source material, that mm-hmm. the tone of the source is very cynical. Yeah. Um, and, and he had to remind me that sometimes because maybe I'm less. And the minute he'd say that it'd be like, Okay, I, I, I'm on it again. Yeah. Um, so that so really it comes from the truth of the scene and the character. And Damon is so clear at communicating that. And threading that needle, you know, and, um, um, you know, we're always, you know, with every scene you direct, with every performance, you're, you're walking a line of overacting, underacting, yeah. and, um, surfing for that. And, and that's, um, and Regina and I always, you know, would have that conversation. Um, so just really staying connected to those tone meetings I'd had with Taman. And then
0: I'd have with the actors on set. I want to just return quickly to something that you had just said about, um, um, t- going back to the source material yourself in terms of, um, compositions. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that because there is, it's not a full blood. There's just times where it kind of touches on a kind of graphic nature of a, of kind of a panel. But I'm wondering, and this goes even beyond comics books. Is Watchmen is such as, um, such as important um, visually just as this kind of landmark um, piece of work from the eighties. I'm wondering what, what, if you could just pull out a little bit of what, what you were kind of inspired and taking from there in terms of how to, how to capture this world.
1: Well, first thing was definitely that it it was these vertical panels, which was pretty atypical in my limited knowledge of comics. Um, So that immediately inspired us to look for frames within frames And, um, and then also just how long the characters were, you know, they're very tall and narrow. And so I, um, you know, any opportunity there was to throw a hard shadow, um, I'd look for. And then a huge influence was um, not only camera placement, you know, because there were times where I'd set the camera like straight down, raking a wall and, um, you know, I'd have someone from the set run over with the frame, mm-hmm. with the panel from the comic that I was referencing. Um, but also transitions and the graphic, like hard match cuts, like close up to close up or close up to wide, or using a color like red to, trans- to take you from one location to the next. Um, so, looking for those kind of references was so inspiring. Um, and just the more, you know, with every episode we prepped, the book was out and people are leafing through it and everyone had dog-eared copies (laughs) from, you know, from the offices to on set. Um, and then looking for things that, um, to put in the frame, you know, just like choosing that Regina is drinking from an owl mug in the pilot in Crawford's office it's kind of strange that there would be an owl mug in a police precinct, but why not? (laughs) This is 30 years later (laughs) and little do we know, but an owl ship's coming, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, Easter, we are looking for Easter eggs all over the place.
0: Uh, In, in the first uh, episode, uh, there is the moment where um, uh, Angela does go to the bakery for the first time and, and kind of transform into, to her, for lack of a better word, superhero character. Um, you know, it, it's a really interesting sequence. But I want to talk a little bit about the use of music. Um, mm. You know, that scene is now in our heads, having seen the finished product, so defined by you know what is it a uh, uh, nun with a motherfucking gun? You know, yes. and it just it's just yeah. become this. It blows my. I went on Spotify the other day. It's like you would think life on Mars is the most listened to thing, but it's not, okay. it's, it's, it's that, it's that track. Oh, it, amazing. But, and, and I'm just curious though, from a directing standpoint, I have to imagine you're thinking, okay, I know this is going to be driven somewhat by, mm. by a music there, but I'm, I'm wondering how that comes along and how much, um, you know, Atticus and Trent are involved at this point, or is it something where they're just really, really feeding off the kind of images that you do? Cause it's just this beautiful marriage when you see the, when you see the final mm. product.
1: Um, I did not have their music on set, Mm -hmm. but I know that the editors had it in the editing room.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: So I'd say I wasn't thinking about it as I'm framing it up. You know, it's um, for me, um, I always work from the images first, Mm -hmm. you know, and then um, and then the editor gets the footage and comes up with, you know, does a first pass. Um, And, you know, I I do. um, So I actually I don't, with a sequence like that, I don't rely on the music or have any assumptions. It's always the story I want to tell, you Mm -hmm. know, how much information do we want to give? How do we want to reveal it? So it's, it's, for me, it's visual. Um, and then it's super exciting to see what the editor puts on it. And then Damon gets in there and he's just a guru yeah. of um, working with music and film. Um, so I f- put credit where credit's due, like that. That's all Damon working with. Trend and Atticus, and there's
0: also an attitude in your images, like part of that attitude that's in there, and and, and her becoming there. It's 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 in those angles, it's in the movement there, so it's it's easy to see how they could feed off that. Um, I want to I want to skip ahead to to episode eight. um, A God walks into uh, a bar. Um, You know, I know that you know this this concept of the way that John experiences time. And the amount of exposition that's here and the amount of backstory that's here. I know a lot of this has to be figured out um, in the script and Damon deserves an enormous amount of, of credit for how he's weaved so much exposition into what is, it, what is a very, has, a, has an incredible narrative dramatic thrust. But I have to imagine that that the whole idea of how we're going to move in and out of time and this applies to this episode, but it kind of applies to the whole show is, 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 is time is a little bit in this episode in particular, a fluid thing, Mm -hmm. but like that sense of moving between worlds and where we are. I I, I imagine that some of the ways to solve this visually and how we're going to, those conversations, it's, it's something that had to be figured out. Right.
1: Yes. Um, episode eight was actually probably the hardest of the three to direct. Um, and uh because it was a truly a a puzzle and and a calculation you know we had 25 pages of the two characters in the bar um sitting you know it's two people sitting at a table and i can't show one of their faces right. and how how to make that cinematically interesting um and so with the dp i really meticulously planned um how the camera work would evolve over those 25 pages as you know, from where the actors, again, always starting from where the characters were like, you know, Angela wanted nothing to do with this guy to getting to yes at the Mm -hmm. end. Um, And so being very conscientious of um, how to film it so that the same shots wouldn't get used over and over how the shots could evolve to relate to how they're feeling um, and then, um, very important to me, and this was inspired by the writing, were these transitions in and out of each scene. And, um, and that was an overarching concern for the whole series, but here they were just, um, I, like the, I think the episode lives on those um, because it's what makes it so compelling and cinematic and some of those were written and some of them we found. Um, but that's where, you know, with the DP, again, I meticulously planned all of those transitions and the shooting order within the bar.
0: You also got a lot out of his hands. I think that's him. That's the same yeah. actor, right? It's the same. It is, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Um, it, it, uh, you got a lot out of his hands, too, <laughs> which is sick. I know. Well, and
1: that's the beauty of yeah, and that, like, I wasn't planning to use his hands so much, but with each setup, just to kind of give us a get a get out of jail card. Yeah. yeah. I was like, just roll the you know, let's set up on this lighting plan a shot on the hands, and um, you know, only as I was watching him work, did it, he, he was acting with his hands a lot more than he probably would have had me been on his face. But he knew what we were doing. Um and so he told the story with his hands in such a beautiful way. Um and that was a real gift from yeah, yeah.
0: He's got that very um Dr. Manhattan like kind of inner piece about him in those hands and the way they. Yes. Get, it's 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 it's, it's a No, he nailed <laughs> that
1: character. He just he got it.
0: And what about you know, my favorite part is it gets it gets so bizarre because suddenly we're cutting between the, the 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 scene with the father ten years beforehand and what it means now and then the fact that he doesn't know where the story is going to go and it, it, my favorite line of course is the one where he's like uh, the chicken and the egg thing like where she yes. doesn't know did I just cause
1: yeah by saying that did yeah. I cause
0: my dad to yeah. to 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 kill the Don Johnson character yeah. there's an element there once again credit to the writing but I have to imagine there is an element of What's the audience going to understand at what point and where is confusion? Emotionally, we have to be at some point and maybe a little in this in this this series is okay with audience confusion to a certain degree. But I have to imagine that's a fine line and by the time you're kind of getting to that point you're like doing the triple lindy in terms of like
1: all these yes. things keeping yeah. this
0: straight is that i imagine that's a conversation that's being had between you and damon very early on right about how to yeah. how to handle that
1: it is and i mean one of the f- delicious treats about reading damon's scripts is if you're confused right now don't worry <laughs> <He writes laughs> you write know? that, he that oh, all <laughs> the time and he's talking to the team. He's talking to HBO. He's talking to everyone who might be reading this. Uh-huh. Um, and I'd say he had, you know, those were all questions that would be um, ironed out in pre-production, whether it was notes from the director or any of the producers or from the studio HBO. Um, sometimes it it was a he would hear where we were confused and. No, either that was a confusion that needed to be solved in real time or something just wait and I promise you the answer is coming.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit while we're in episode eight about um, the discussion about um, Dr. Manhattan, what to show um, of him, you know, because that's, that's obviously a big thing that you're kind of inheriting from from the graphic novel. Mm-hmm. Um, and And then also this element of I have to imagine part of this also becomes the visual effect of when he glows and how that's going to, that's how you're mm-hmm. going to film that. I think the other part it's, it's makeup, right? It's blue makeup when it's, yeah. it's when he's not glowing. Okay. Yeah. So that's just yeah. the, that, that's the physical actor just doing his thing on. Okay. It is. But I'm wondering if you could uh, just talk a little bit about that. Cause I imagine that's something that has to be discussed right from the start is how we're going to handle the visual representation of, of Dr. Manhattan. Yeah.
1: Um, when, when, I'd say probably three months out from filming of episode eight, we started doing camera tests to figure out what to do. Um, we we knew we didn't want him to just be a CGI VFX thing. Um, we wanted Yaya acting. And um, and so we tested him to find the right color blue. And, and we tested different options for the eyes, whether it to be his eyes or contact, um, to do the white all white contact was so limiting for the actor he couldn't see or Mm -hmm. and at risk scratching his eye um and somewhere along the line we decided that he would only glow when he was truly activating his powers you know so like moving things um and that allowed us to for the most part let him be true yaya painted in blue Mm -hmm. you know and it was um It was a lot for the actor to go through. That's a big, um, a lot of time in the trailer. But um, what, again, kind of in the DNA of the show was like, this is real in this world. And so letting it feel real was very important to us.
0: I have to go back to this because I'm still fascinated by this. Yaya doesn't know that he's Dr. Manhattan these tests that you're talking about, when is this happening? Cause no, he knew, he, <laughs> he knew by then. He knew, but, but this is okay. He knows by, yeah.
1: Then. Cause we, so he knew when we started filming the series in October, got it. Just not the um, pilot. Sh-
0: Just not the pilot. Yeah. Okay. Got it.
1: So, so we shot the pilot in June okay. of 2018. Mm-hmm. We started the series. No, 2018. Yes. Started the series in went to you know actually in production October of 2018 and then shot this episode in April May of 2019
0: I imagine also part of your job not just from from this episode the episode 8 but in general I imagine some of, of the things that you're having to figure out um, early on is is what is going to be a visual effect and where visual effects are going to come into this mm-hmm. uh, I'm wondering if you could talk about that because I First off, there's things that I've read in retrospect that I've learned are visual effects that I didn't know, like, um, oh, cool. like look like looking glass, like looking glasses uh, yeah. mask. But um, I have to imagine uh, wh- where did you guys land on that? I mean, I imagine almost all these decisions are are practical ones in terms of what looks best and what can be done in our budget and time. But mm-hmm. I- I'm wondering how that played out in terms of what what you expected would. You know, how much visual effects there would be involved versus versus the practicality of what, what actually got filmed.
1: Um, I mean, this was it was a huge visual effects series, and from the beginning, we kept on saying it's not a visual effects show, it's not a visual effects show. But <laughs> um, you know, as critical to the pre production process as the DP and production designer, costumes. Was our visual effects supervisor, and um, Eric Henry or someone of his team was always with us, um, whether we were in pre-production or on set, um, because it was a constant discussion of um, of how to always bring in this other universe. You know, if we were out on location, you know, could we add to the skyline? You know, our special power sources, or um, a floating dirigible, just something to make it this alternate universe. Um, and then, um, you know, and then the more obvious, you know, scripted things that would need to be visual effects, whether it's looking glass, or, you know, squid or whatnot coming at us. Um, mm-hmm. And or, or the fight sequences, you know, we didn't, we weren't, you know, using actual squibs, you know, we we leaned on visual effects a lot. Um, but it was a, just this constant back and forth of what's um, what's more the, the issue with doing it practically is time and production right. money. Um, so not you know, giving it to visual effects saves you money in, on set, but then you're punting that money and time into post production. Um, but like our Nixon, you know, the giant Nixon sculpture, mm-hmm. we made practical legs for when we would have him because he was going to be in frame a lot on that level. But then for the wide shots, they visually effect finished him. Got but we designed him, we knew what he looked like and what we'd be framing for in pre production.
0: I want to end where the show begins, which is uh, Tulsa. Um, and mm-hmm. I've read in um, other interviews you've done about the amount of research um, and kind of trying to to get this. You know, it, it's 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 a, it's a very important historical moment, but also one that doesn't has hasn't been told many times, and sir I don't think has been told on on film uh, or in TV before. I, I'm curious um, about that process. I want to talk about the actual filming, but. You said you went back to Tulsa. Did you guys end up shooting it all there? Did you end up, or is it more just to get the feel of of, of what that place is like?
1: Uh, we did not film there. Okay. Um, going there was truly to get the feel um, mm-hmm. and to do research and walk. You know where the story was. You know we went to um, the wall. The you know it's now now where all the stores are is just these little plaques in the sidewalk. Um, There is a Greenwood Cultural Center that they were very generous and spent time with us. Um, um, It's a tiny thing that's actually being redone into a real museum right now, which is very exciting. Um, But it was so we went there for the feel and to know kind of what we are looking to replicate. And then in Georgia, we found a town about an hour, a small old town about an hour outside of Atlanta that had the geography that i needed um and we did a huge production design again on the ground level of all those storefronts and then a lot of visual effects help with um, anything a second story and what
0: about the actual filming of it It, it's you took a very interesting approach in the sense of um I noticed um, kind of a cranked up shutter speed, a sense of the world kind of whirling around us, but then kind of zeroing in the, the, the few images that are kind of grounded are, you know, holding a dead baby, the bodies, mm-hmm. kind of, the bodies being dragged. And that seems yeah. to be this sense of this swirling around. We're not going to be able to get the full scope of this, but the sense that it's going mm-hmm. around us, but then giving us these little moments that you do want to make sure that we hold on to. Right
1: well really we're we're starting this boy's story, and um you know the they've run through that massacres you' he's he's our eyes for it and um and you know that feeling of like you can't unsee something um and if the hundreds of horrible things happening, that's what he sees in these moments and um and it's branded on his memory for the rest of his life. And, um, you know, so we, in, we picked, you know, four to six of those, you know, um, to tell that story. You know, that because his trauma is really what the whole season is about. Um, you know, who is he? Why do, how does he digest that trauma? How does he pass it on to his granddaughter? And now what's she going to do with it? All right.
0: Well, Nicole, thank you so much. You've been very generous with your time. Um, congratulations you on this series. Congratulations on this series. And uh, it sounds like maybe the next one that you're going to do um, this kind I mean, I'm sure you're going to be directing more, but in terms of this type of role, it sounds like uh, Last the Mohegans is one where uh, doing a directing EP, helping this kind of give birth to the show might be the next one where you take this type of role.
1: It's definitely where I've been working right now on the mm-hmm. script side.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, we have no idea what the future brings for any of us. <laughs> 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 that, that's one lesson yeah. we all yeah. have to be living right now. Wow. Um, I would love to be directing that. Yeah. Um, How and when is a big question. All
0: right. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you. Take care. Take care. And today's podcast was brought to you by the Apple TV Plus original documentary, Beastie Boy Story, for your Emmy consideration in all eligible categories, including Outstanding Documentary or Nonfiction Special.